the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. Great to have you with us once again and looking forward to an incredible conversation. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. This is Chad Robichaux. And uh, we're going to jump into a uh, really a, a very important conversation, but one that highlights a fact that we were just talking about. And, yeah. and the fact is this. We look at our own country and we see all the problems. We talk about things like free speech. Um, we've talked about even on this show these big issues like sex trafficking, and we think we're the only ones in the world that are dealing with this. Our guest today highlights the fact <laughs> that we are absolutely no. not the only ones dealing with this. Yeah. And I think it's disturbing to see the consistency and the way uh, that it's surfacing in, in all these different countries, not just uh, not just Europe and not just America, but just across the world. There, These problems are surfacing yeah. in the same way free speech is being censored, the yeah. same way human trafficking is being covered up the same way. And, uh, you know, I think today's guest really sheds a light on that. And, uh, you know, that's, this is two topics that I'm, I'm personally very passionate about. One is free speech, because when you lose free speech, uh, you lose you truth, you lose right? truth yeah. and justice. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that, that spurs my heart more than anything else is uh, is human slavery, sex trafficking, right. especially when you're talking about children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a such an important topic, and it is being suppressed and as yeah. being the, i mean yeah. you just go on social media you try to start calling out child sex trafficking on social media if i do if anybody with a platform does you will be uh suppressed you'll be shadow banned over it why i don't know yeah. uh, we try to get to that today but uh yeah. but we're gonna try to get to that today and uh yeah it's yeah it's a unbelievable conversation we could spend a lot of time the two of us talking about it yep. but we're gonna get right to our guest our guest today is uh, none other than tommy robinson Our guest today is Tommy Robinson, and uh, really honored that he would spend some time with us. Uh, Tommy, for those that don't know, is a British journalist, free speech activist, documentary filmmaker, and author. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of his newest documentaries, The Rape of Britain, here in just a second. Tommy, thank you so much for taking the time to be yeah, with thank us. Thank you. Uh, real honor to have you on. No, thanks for having me on, lads. Thanks for having me on. So um, I, I'd like to start here. I, I'd love to give a bio and talk about you, uh, but if anyone were to Google your name, they would come to the conclusion <laughs> that, uh, you know, there's, there's the devil and then there's Tommy Robinson. And I don't think that's the truth. Uh, obviously, we're so thankful for your work. But uh, give, us, give us your background. Talk about how you got to, to where you're doing the work that you're doing and, and uh, you know, the real, the real story, the real Tommy Robinson. Well, the, fu- the funny thing is, do you know, if I'm, if I'm somewhere like on holiday and I meet people, we might have got talking for two or three days. And then they find out who I am. I have to say to them, please don't Google, yeah? Please don't. I said, <laughs> don't look me up. You will never come back and talk to me. <laughs> I, I, and I always plead with people. I said that there's one video. If you go on YouTube, there's only one left. There's only one left that, that, that you can find. You go on YouTube and you put in Tommy Robinson, Oxford Union. That's a, the prestigious Oxford University in England, where I had an hour to present my case right. for the first time. This is who I am. This is what I do, and this is why I do it. 
and that will paint a very different picture to you, any of the videos I produce, than the than the headlines you're going to read. So, um, so I started I started as an activist in 2009 after a soldier's homecoming in England. Mm. Soldiers were marching, parading back from their hometown, and they come under attack by large groups of extremist Muslims. Um, and that was the final straw for me. I'd grown up in a town called Luton Town. It's 30 miles north of London. When I was born in 1982, we had one mosque. We now have 45. I've seen the demographics explode and change, and I've seen the consequence of that. I've seen the consequence of, on free speech, on freedom, on um, sexual sexual attacks and rapes against many. It happened to my own my own relative. My cousin was a victim of these rape gangs. So your so your listeners understand we have we call them grooming gangs in England, but grooming sounds something quite nice, like you groom mm, a dog. Yeah, right. But what, what we're talking about is rape jihad in the UK. We're talking about two percent of the two percent of England's population, which are, are Muslim males, responsible for ninety percent of the convictions of rape in gangs against children. And that is what my current film is about. So I've gone through the years doing lots of work, but we 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 brought to the forefront this issue, which some people listen to this first time, like your your your, your listeners will find it unbelievable. It, it sounds like a horror movie that couldn't possibly happen in the in the land of freedom and democracy in Britain, the beautiful democracy of, uh, of Great Britain. But it's happened and we saw these gangs operating and we saw our authorities, our government, we saw our police forces actually facilitate and accommodate the rape of a generation of our children, which is when people speak to you, or try to understand the power of political correctness, then um, it's that powerful that it, 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 it enabled men and women in their jobs to sit and watch as as groups of men were, were kidnapping and raping and sometimes murdering children. I um, or We recently had on a guest named Jocko Bullions. I don't know if you know Jocko, um, but he here in the United States works in the area of sex trafficking. And when we had him on our show, he, he kind of broke down a lot of what's happening here in the United States. And you know, I'm 45 years old. I've grown up obviously here in the United States and had never heard anything close to what he was talking about. And it is, it's, it's extremely uh, startling. You, you have to step back and go, I can't believe that's possible. But to be confronted with the reality is extremely important. And, and to that, maybe we can start there. Uh, your new documentary, The Rape of Britain, um, can you just give us an overview of that? I mean, you, you summarized it, but give us an overview of, uh, of what you talk about and, and why it's so important for you to do this. So, the Rape of Britain, so many people would have heard of my name. I was imprisoned as a journalist in 2017 and 18 for um, doing a video outside of a courtroom where 29 Muslim men were facing court trials for raping children. I believe the purpose of my imprisonment was to stop the public being aware of just how many of these gangs were operating, of the level of them. Because when we, when we brought it to a forefront, they had to do something because there were literally thousands of young men, Englishmen marching through towns and cities, highlighting it. I was talking about it on news channels, on interviews everywhere in the UK. And then they started making token arrests. And I'll explain by token arrests, because the town that my documentary is now on, it is called Telford in the UK. The police, the police investigation identified 200 men, Muslim men, in that town that had been raping children. They prosecuted 11. Um, we, we've started there. And what we've done is... If you, if you read yourself, lads, if you, if you go online now and you read about these rape gangs, 
then you read it. You don't really feel it. Yeah. So I wanted to, mm. I've traveled yeah. the country meeting right. victims and meeting families. And I, and my, I know that people need to see what I've seen. They need to feel what I felt. They need to feel the heartbreak, feel the pain. They need to see it. They need to see it in the faces of the children. They need to see it in the faces of the parents. And then they can understand the true concept of this crime that's happening and, and who's guilty of it and who's facilitated, facilitated it. So I've gone to a town, I've spent a year um, sitting down with survivors and, and I call them survivors specifically because when you meet them, they're brave, they're courageous. They are, they are and if you, if you hear what's gone on since I put my promo out, we've, so we've gone there, we've sat down, we've got lots of different victims and we've built a database. And say we've got victim A, doesn't know victim B, and doesn't and and, and victim C, yeah. but we're getting the same stories about yeah. the same men. Right. So we haven't just and then we've built our database and then the final bit of the work is finding the men. Um, but what you will hear, what you will hear about is corruption, um, police officers working with the gangs um, to to help them escape justice. They're the allegations coming through from witnesses. Um, we have witnesses of of money being exchanged and. The, the first case that you're going to watch, because it's the first one. At first, I was just going to do a film about Telford and have little bits of each victim. But I didn't feel it done the victim justice when you hear their story. So, and we've done it into a multiple part series because mm. we, we could do this in every town, which we're going sure. to look to. But we're going to sit in Telford. You're going to hear the first victim's name's Nicole. You're going to hear her story. You're going to hear about how she was groomed, at what age she was groomed, who raped her, how they raped her, uh, um, who cooperated with them during that process and what it's, what it's been like for her and her family. And um, I don't know if you've been following, but the minute, the minute I put my promo out, everyone has been targeted. So in, yeah. in everyone, I mean, we've seen women, a woman beat up with baseball bats by 10 to 12 men attacked a car. We've seen four arson attacks. My car was blown up just three days ago. Um, this is as the gangs and that, the gangs are now worrying and they're worrying because as a journalist, I am going to uncover who they are right. and I'm going to show the British public who they are. If they, if they have corruption at highest levels in our country, that means they're going to escape justice. Then I want to shine a torch on that corruption. I want to shine a torch on the allegations and, um, and show people who these men are. Cause these men are all living the life in their sports cars, in their big houses. They've all got lots of money. They're very successful in their businesses all through allegations are it's all through drug laundering money and, and prostitution of young children. And um, whilst our victims are living in squalor or our survivors are living in squalor, they're hiding. Some of them I've flown. I've had to fly some victims back in to talk to me from different countries. They've mm. left this country. Many of them, their families have had to leave the country. And mm. even this in the last seven days, I think five or six families have now been relocated into emergency accommodation to keep them safe within that town because the gangs are going after them because they know they're talking. Wow. So you're talking about a couple of different groups of people here. If you can help me understand, Tommy, the the victims, or or these victims from the Islamic communities in, or these victims are outside the communities. So when, when you do when you do so out of these demographics, the victims are usually exclusively white, but not not always. Um, they're usually white English girls, and they they are actually from all different backgrounds, but major, majority of the time. Again, they're from a working class background, from a poorer background. Some of them have had trouble, hu troubled upbringings. Some of them have been into children's homes, but not all of them. Um, right. And there's a certain process these gangs operate in. Yeah? They, they get the girl from the age of 11 or 12 and they start treating them quite good. 
They start buying them things, being nice to them, buying them cigarettes, buying them food, buying them alcohol. And some of these girls haven't had love or affection or, or ever been treated well anyway. They get them in a process and they groom them. That's where the word grooming comes from for the gangs. <coughs> they treat them well. They make sure that they isolate them from their family. So they get them to cause, they cause friction between their mums and dads. Oh, your mum doesn't, your mum's treating you like a little girl. And they're, they're, they're basically causing friction at home until they can isolate the girls. So the girls on her own, basically. And that's when the drugs, the drug level increases. They give them, they keep giving them drugs and then they prostitute them to their friends. Oh, because of all the stuff I've been giving you, I need you to do something for me. I'm in trouble. I've got this. You need to spend this night with this man. And before you know it, the girl will get taken to a house and there'll be eight, ten men who she'll be raped. And this will continue for years, for years. And, and, and so and this is the shocking thing that people don't understand is the families go to the police. My family went to this when it happened to our relative, yeah? The police do nothing. And, and this sounds unbelievable. What two fathers in, in one of the towns, two fathers got together. Their 13 year old children were missing. They found they knew they're in a house with all these Muslim men. All these Pakistan, majority Pakistani, but not always, but exclusively majority Muslim groups. They went to this house and um, when they went to the house to get their daughters back, the police turned up. They arrested the fathers. They left the daughters in the house. They wow. arrested the fathers. There's another incident. And again, these, these incidents are actually documented in the Rotherham scandal. We had, a, we had how, an investigation. How old are these girls when you, when you see these girls? 13, 13 yeah. years old. But they start them at about. So the first victim you're going to hear from in the Rape of Britain, she was 11. Mm. She was 11. She was impregnated at the age of 13 by a Pakistani Muslim man. Okay, her family went to the police about the rape at 11. Nothing was done. Her family went back to the police again when she was impregnated because this time they had evidence. <laughs> they they actually get the DNA from the fetus of the baby when she has an abortion. They get the DNA. They get 100% cross match on the DNA with the man who's raped her. They arrest the man. This is all in our in our story. They, they arrest the man, and then they bring no further action against him. So he doesn't get prosecuted. He just gets let go. So, and this is the story which would shock people. It doesn't shock many in the UK when we're hearing about these, these historical cases, because people now know. But the scary demographic for people to understand, um, Telford, the town we've, we've investigated, only has a 1.7% Muslim population. 1.7%. Now, there's a 1,000 victims, according to the police investigation, and they've identified over 200 men who have been operating in this town. There's only 3,700 Muslims in Telford. When you, take, when you half that for women and, women and men, we actually get a working-age Muslim population of roughly eight, eight or 900 Muslim men. And out of that, 20% plus have been identified by the police's investigation. So we're not talking about just a handful of men within a community of raping. We're talking about a massive percentage of men within that town. See it. And when, when, when you do your investigating into it, you find that all these men know each other. They're all related. They're all cousins. They're work colleagues. Now, for, in England, this is the first type, type of case where work colleagues, say there's 10 men work together, where they would share children together. Yeah. And that's where my issue with it, or that's where I differed from a lot of people, um, why, why they, I come under attack because I say we have to find out why these men believe it's acceptable to do this. Right. Why such a large number are doing it. Right. What's what the motivation? The What's the root cause? I mean, I mean, uh, you know, when you go on the internet, people paint you as a, as, as a racist, as an Islamophobic, as an antagonist, 
but you're so well documented and so well researched and everything you've done is based on just truth and evidence and you're trying to just find justice, whatever justice may be. So if, why is it, why would the internet, why does the media, why does the police censure you and go after you in such a way? What's the, what's the motivation there? Why aren't they trying uh, to stop the crime? Why are they trying to stop, why, why are you the, why are you the bad guy? Right. The, I'd say the motivation is uh, they feared me. And in the end, it becomes to the point where I built such a large following. I had 1.2 million people on Facebook. When I went live, I had 30,000 people viewing me live. Yeah. I blew up in the sense that I had 172 million people read my tweets in a four week period and 69 million people read my videos. Mm. And then the, their final, their final thing for me was they, they'd done a, they'd done a film. They were working on Panorama yeah. in the UK. We have a program called Panorama which is the, the BBC's flagship investigative reporting journalist piece. And they were doing a, they were doing a, a film on me. It was when I come out of custody from the, um, the rape gang trial, when I come back out of jail. And when I was in jail, 600,000 people signed a petition to release me. 30,000 people march, marched on Parliament. Um, there was people from across the United States headed by Raheem Kassan. There was lots of people speaking out um, about my imprisonment. So I think they got worried and then they were working on a film to take me down. And I sent someone undercover on them. So I got someone to wear a hidden camera. And, and you should see, it's, it's, it's called Panodrama, if you can actually find it. Because this it was this film, yeah. that within 48 hours of this film, I was deleted from the internet. Mm. Within 48 hours of producing this film, it had 2 million views. I had my Facebook closed, my YouTube taken, Snapchat. Every single thing you can think of was erased. Because I exposed that the BBC flagship Panorama programme was actually just false. I, I got them on camera talking about how how they were going to lie about me, telling people, sitting people down. This is a talk about journalism. It's like you sitting me down before this interview and telling me everything I had to say because that's what Panorama would do right. for the people. If you say this one, two, three, it will be on about Tommy Robinson. Yeah. They were going around and getting people that don't like me. They just didn't expect us to be recording all. So <laughs> I also so, yeah. And, and and that ended. John Sweeney was a man in charge of Panorama at the time, and it ended his career. But you know, when you realise how corrupt the media are, we done the biggest expose of the BBC that's ever been done, and not one single journalist in the UK reported it. John is, Sweeney lost his job. Is, it, 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 yeah. is the motivation money? Is it bribery? Is it corruption? Is it, is it they're in on it? Like who's in on it? Like it's it's it's, it's multiple things. It's th- it's dirty hands because they've all got dirty hands. Yeah. So they all let it happen. So there's a, and, and they've all gone off with their pensions. And I've said for years, they're sitting enjoying their pension whilst these children are hooked yeah. on heroin, yeah. dying yeah. of overdoses. Yeah. So, and, I, and my warning to them, which I, when I give these warnings, I think it was part of the reason to want to try and take me down is, if you're sitting at home enjoying your pension, having a cup of tea in the evening, having your good life, when you have failed children, you have failed girls, you knew they were being prostituted, you knew they were being taken, then I'm going to make sure the whole country knows who you are because um, you're going to have to answer some questions. And that's what we do on this film. So we go after the people who the, there's allegations of corruption against, so I give them a right to reply. So it's not me. I don't actually, when I make the film, I'm not saying these men are rapists. I'm just, I'm, I'm giving these children a platform to tell their story. Let us hear their story. I'm looking at the facts of the cases. I'm looking at what the police done and all the failures of what they've done. And then asking the questions of why they've done it. Um, but I, again, this is a multiple part series. Do I think I'll be able to get to series five? I very much doubt it because they're going to come down on us like a ton of bricks. Yeah. They're already panicking now. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. 
This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Can you take a minute and explain what makes this a Muslim or Islamic issue? I think one of the biggest, well, well I, I, won't, I won't speak to this, but um, in following you and watching people push back on you, that seems to be one of the big issues that people have. Not that you're calling out what's happening, but that you are laying it at the feet of the Muslim community. Can you talk about what makes this a Muslim or an Islamic problem? I can, yeah. And um, I gave a presentation again, if you, if you called the rape of Britain, I, I had to fly to Russia to give this presentation, <laughs> ironically. It's crazy. <laughs> I, had to go, I had to go to Russia to get my first speech. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, get, get old communists. Uh... <laughs> it's a strange world we're living in, Tommy. I know. It's clown, it's clown world in every sense. But when we look at the numbers, so again, uh, Pakistani Muslim males make up 2% of the population. When we go through the arrests, the, 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 the prosecutions and, and, and the figures, we see that out of, I think there's now 380 or 400 being convicted. We see that between 86 and 90%, depending on which numbers you take, are Muslim men. When you, when you take the names, so they've done it very hard for you not to, because they don't record their demographic by their religion. Mm. But if you take the names, yeah, right. uh, here's, here's a fact. Out of all of those, out of all of those convictions, only 0.5 percent have have a a British name. Yeah? Incredible. When you when you go through, so it's, it's understand. It's trying to work through the numbers and work out. So 90 percent, 20 percent of them are called Muhammad. Now, for me, that's when you have to start asking, well, why is are they so disproportionately mm. overnumbered? How come we we as a country we're a melting pot, especially my hometown of of Luton. White English are a minority in Luton. I've grown up in a town that has every single culture and every single religion, every race, everyone. Yeah? How come the Sikhs, let's look at the Sikh community. How come they're not raping in right. mass numbers right. in these gangs? How come the Jews aren't? Yeah? How come the Hindus aren't? So that's what we should be asking the question, because if we want to stop these crimes, we have to understand them. We have to understand the idea and I've looked so many times and tried to understand. And when, when you look at the Quran, Sarah 4, verse 24, yeah, you can take out, outside of your four wives, whatever your right arm possesses. Okay, This is the arm of the sword. So this is the, this is the question that needs to be asked. Is There's multiple verses like this in the Quran, which justify, and I've sat down with Islamic scholars on debate shows in the UK, and they've confirmed it. The prophet Muhammad, or the false prophet Muhammad, took sexual slaves okay that was just standard he took sexual slaves there's so many comments from him in the hadith in the in the hadith where he walks past and says have you devoted give her here yeah? mm. now he he legalized sexual slavery when at war 
You have the house of born, you have to, has to have, the, have the house of God. So all a Muslim has to do to justify their behavior, and when I say justify it, it's accepted. These men are not outcasts of their community. Rather than people be outraged, they at court, they have lots of support from their community. Yeah. When we go through, and I've and I done it for the my presentation, The Rape of Britain, I went through all the court cases, and I took all the comments from all of the victims. And I, and I do it in this presentation I've done in Russia. So I look at what they said to the girl, and then I find the exact justification for that in the Islamic scripture. Right, right. You're not worthy, you're filthy, you're this. Yeah, this is the thing said to the girls. Yeah. This isn't me saying what they said. This is So each one of these children, like the, the one we're about to interview, each one of them, she was called Agula. Agula is Arabic for a white slag. Um, so white filth. So it's, we ha- if you want to understand it, at least have to explore why it's happening. And if we can look, and which I've done, I can find justification for it in the Quran, taking non-Muslim women as sexual slaves. But there has to be a reason. So I keep asking the question, well, why? You, you tell me why 90% of, of convictions are from Muslim males that mm. make up 2% of our country. Why? And you're not even allowed to ask that question, unfortunately. Anything that brings any correlation to Islam and the behaviours of, of many Muslims in the country, you're simply not allowed to do. You get beaten down. Yeah. You get all the all the so all the tags I get. It's very easy to come out against uh, and speak out against rape, but you're not going to solve the problem. I want to solve the problem. I want right. to understand it and stop it, and I want our government to understand how dangerous it is, yeah. and that by simply making a few arrests, you're not changing the minds. You the, the mindset. For example, again. Uh, Prophet Muhammad was 50, 53 when he married Aisha at six, and he was fifty-six when he when he had sexual sexual intercourse with her when he when he raped her. Yeah. Now, Muslims in the UK, I come out of a court case just a month ago, and when I was out there, I spoke to two Muslims, and I said to them, and it and it was on camera, and, and a lot of the public are shocked by this. But I said, okay, lads, what should the legal age for sex be? Yeah. Just you're an average Muslim in the street. You're not an extremist, not a radical. What should the average, what should the age for sex be? And he said, well, God's decided that. I said, you mean when, when a girl started her periods? He said, yeah. I said, okay, so my daughter's 10. And if she started her periods, does that mean she's fair game? And he says, yeah. He says, wow. yeah. And so so to us, that's, that's, that's backward. It's barbaric. It's barbarous. But to the average Muslim who is taught that the Prophet Muhammad is perfect, so we have four million Muslims in this country that believe, believe Muhammad was perfect. Well, Muhammad did have sex with a child. He, right. he did. Right. Yeah, he did. And he also did take sexual slaves mm-hmm. in every war he went into. So he legitimised that. And if you think he's perfect, and that you, the argument, well, that's 1,400 years ago. No, 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 they're not saying he was perfect 1,400 years ago. What you're saying is, because the inter- because of the literal interpretation of Islam is that he's perfect. Yeah. So he's perfect now, which is why we can't change the Quran, adapt the Quran, or the Quran, because he's perfect. And um, mm. so I, I, that's what I look at. And it's hard to do in this short period. But again, I've done it in an hour presentation where I looked, I took the words from the court cases of the children. And then I looked at Islam and I, and I, and, and I tried to understand why 20, over 20 percent of men in Montana raping kids um, and, and, and we're we're seeing it right now, and uh, you know, outside the governing in Afghanistan, the Taliban is already starting to marry off eleven-year-old girls. Uh, you know, I've, I'm working on the evacuations there, and I'm seeing it uh, happening right now. We're getting you know family members having to deal with this. Do you think? And, Britain... and the mad thing is, the mad thing is that's in Afghanistan. Yeah, but that's yeah. happening in London. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eleven-year-olds are being married off in London. That's a fact. 
Yep. In London. It's yeah. It's, do you think that Britain is is silencing this uh, to protect mass influx of migrants? Uh, they're turning a blind um, eye to it for migration. Well, they turn a blind eye. Yeah, they turn a blind eye and they hide what's happening because, again, it goes against the open border policy. Because like you have open borders. Okay, well, this is the reality of your open borders. Yeah. Yeah. This is the reality, and I'm gonna, and that's what I've been speaking down for is speaking the realities. When we hear about, they say about, I've grown up, so people understand as well. I've grown up in Luton and some of the best, most beautiful people I've met in my life growing up have been Muslim. Yeah? Some of my friends who I grew up with would be as disgusted as anyone else with what these gangs are doing. That shouldn't stop us. Right. Okay? From, that shouldn't stop us from understanding what's going on here. Yes, we have individual, great, brilliant, perfect Muslims in the UK. Okay, But that we also have this problem and this problem. And we also have the terrorism aspect. We also have all these aspects that we have to be free to talk about without without fear. And quite frankly, no one in this country is free to talk about without fear. I, I had to take I took three months before I went went with this with, with this film because I am I was that worried because I know I know I'm about to ruffle some feathers with this. So I know I'm really about <laughs> to cause a storm. Um and I know what I believe they're going to do to me for it. I believe, uh, and I know what's going to happen. And that's not what a journalist in, in a, f- a free country should be feeling or thinking. But I'm terrified, and, and that's the reality of Great Britain. And that's the reality of what I've seen them do for the last 10 to 15 years. And I think with myself, it's because it, it's because we're not far right. It's because we're not extremists that they fear us that much. Because there's some genuine far right extremists out there who still have all their social media platforms. They're not, they're yeah. not being deleted. They're, they're not being deleted. They delete the people they're worried by, and that's because we we can strike a core with the British public. Many of the British public were listening to us because they understand what we're saying and they've seen what we're saying in their own towns and cities. Uh, here's a question for you that I have. So you're experiencing this probably at a greater level than most people uh, in Britain, but we're seeing this in America too. To uh, two separate nations dealing with the same thing. What's the connection there? Who's, I mean, who's over it's all not, this? It's not, even, it's not even two, is it? It's every nation. Now. It is, it is, it is. It's so what's the, con- what's the connection there? Who's overseeing this? Where is this really coming from? I think that we were test, I think that we were a test piece in, in the UK. Um, or when I was getting deleted, people were enjoying it. And then, and not speaking out, even in your Republican Party, I think there was a lot of people that stayed silent when a lot of yeah. people were being erased. Whether it be Milo Yiannopoulos, whether it be Laura Luma, whether it be these people, so many people still remain silent when they were getting deleted, when they were getting erased mm. from from the internet. And then and then it's shifted, and then it's gone to the most the most um, powerful man in, in the world at the time of Donald Trump getting erased. Yeah. And then people now people have woken up. I'm just grateful that we have new social media platforms. I'm I'm buzzing off of of Getter. Um, yeah. I'm buzzing on Getter. I'm thinking up to 120,000 now. I just can't wait yeah. for Donald Trump to release truth. We we it's needed because yeah. we don't have the option to to give people these warnings which we used to do on our own social medias. And you can see the coordination. It's a totally totally globalist agenda and big tech. Are hand in hand. I don't want to get on the whole big pharma argument now either, because we've got we'll go off. But big tech, big pharma, and and the globalist plan, which the globalist plan is to destroy 
nation states. It, it is to break us down. It is to have one world government. And these were all these were all mass conspiracies 10, 15 years ago that people would talk about. And when you sit now looking at the COVID reaction, when you sit now looking at censorship levels, when you look at all of it, it's coordinated. Yeah. Uh, and we're all facing it. And that, that's not just in our country. That's a, it's across the whole of Europe. Anyone who speaks out, anyone who's telling the truth on certain issues is being eradicated from the internet, massively purged. You uh, just mentioned the concern that you have over what will come to you personally when this is released. And uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because you've been in prison already a few times. You've experienced great you know, persecution, censorship. You have a family. <laughs> you have things that you're concerned about. Um, knowing all of that and anticipating what will come, why do you continue to do this? What what motivates you and your family? Because I'm sure it's a family decision to keep pressing forward on this. Um, when you watch the film, you understand. When you watch the film, you'll understand. And, and it's those it's those victims and those survivors and those girls. Mm. And I've said this to my. I had this conversation with my son on my last court case where I was sent to prison. Um, I was sent to prison. And I got out on an appeal, and then I was offered a deal by the attorney general if I pled guilty to cause an offence and alarm and distress to the rapists yeah, on their way into court. But I asked, all I asked them was simply, how are you feeling about your verdict? Yeah? Things, journalists ask me these questions every time I walk into court. Yeah? Um, and, and that's what I did. And, my, and I said to my son, if I, I can't do that anyway. Yeah? But these are the options, son. If I plead guilty, I can come home. I will go to court and come home. If I plead not guilty, I will go to prison. But if I go to prison and it highlights the cause that I'm thinking, which mm-hmm. I have two other daughters. So I said, think of your, your sister. And she was 11 at the time. I said, girls like your sister are being taken from their mums and dads. They're being beaten, they're being tortured, and they're being prostituted to older men. If I go if I go to court and I say not guilty and I go to prison and it gets millions of people talking and debating and looking at this and it saves just one girl mm. like your like your sister, yeah. then what should, I, what should I do, son? And I didn't know if I felt bad saying it to him, but he said, yeah, Dad, you, you should say not guilty. I said, so So I'm saying not guilty. And, and, and I'm saying not guilty because I am not guilty, but right. also because it's like now, they're, they're stuck in a hard rock, I think, the government on this one, because they would automatically want to imprison me and lock me up. The film's going out anyway. So if you want to do right. that, yeah, if, if, you, if you two are sitting here in, in two weeks' time and I'm in prison, more people are going to be brought to watch these films mm. than have ever I could have ever dreamed of, which is my my purpose and the position I'm in is to raise awareness and highlight what's going on in this country of the rape of our children and what's happening in every town and city. And what better way to do that than, than, than to go ahead with it? My my issue with it was was that I spent I have done a few prison uh, times in prison. On my last case, I was in solitary confinement for months on end each time. It, ha- it did take a toll on me when I come back out and I've only just got back to getting to where I, where I needed to be. And then, and then that, and then, but then, yeah, but I, ha- I can't not, it's like I say that to my yeah. family. Yeah. I can't not do it. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah. it's going out. And, and when you see it, it's just, I should be free to do it. And I right. think all of these things, we're in a, we're in a moment in history where um, everything that's happening is going to be looked back upon. All, all of the crimes that are be, being committed by those in power, I hope and pray that yeah. the good guys come out of it at the end, but we can only do what we can do. And, right. my, and what I'm in a power position to do is highlight these crimes. That's, That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, hats off to you for doing it. I mean, uh, look, I, I've made a statement before and I don't, I don't think it's correct hearing, hearing people like you talk. I've, I've said journalism is dead 
And I don't believe, you know, listening to you talk, I don't believe journalism is dead. I just believe it's being censored, attacked, and persecuted. And, and you know, free speech is being persecuted, not just in America, not just in Britain, but around the world. How do people make the connection in their own ability to speak uh, being taken away from them? I mean, people look at you and they're like, well, yeah, because you have a platform, you're a journalist, but it affects everyone in their daily lives. Uh, it affects everyone. And we, and we have to rely on citizen journalists now. And, yeah. and, that, and the power is ours. The power is ours. Well, yeah. it, was, it was ours. Okay. It was ours <laughs> when, we, when we all had social media. And, and I think that they sat and realized, like, they created this, and then they thought, oh, no. Okay? It's a web. We can't tell people how to think anymore. Right? We can't tell them what to think about people because now they have their own platforms and, and we could reach into your lounge. I could sit here and reach into your kitchen, sit and talk to you direct without the newspaper writing their headline. And that's when we started uncovering a lot of the lies they were doing. So they saw that we were winning. They saw that Donald Trump got elected. They saw, they saw the, I'd say the, um, the, the, the populist revolution probably started with Modi in India. Hmm. And then it went on to Donald Trump and then it's, it's traveled and we've seen Brazil. We've seen all these different elections happen. And they've just gone, they've realized it. They've took back power. And now it's down to hopefully people to create platforms again that can allow us to reach to people again. I'm just happy that through Getter, I'm reaching people again. I'm making a video like that and it's getting 100,000 views. Yeah. Yeah. 100,000 views used to be 10 million views. So we need to, and, yeah. and, and, and it will come with time. I'm confident that now, because if, if not, the Republican Party will never, ever get back in power in, in, in the United States. Unless, unless platforms are built where we have free speech to reach to reach the public, unless we do that, and unless you get control of your borders, um, yeah, we, we, we've got to die a future. Control. So. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thankful for this show. I mean, we're, we're on Salem. Uh, you know, it's, it's its own platform. And uh, we're able to, you know, people are able to reach and it's us important, and see it. it's, important that, it's important that the public, when you see a platform like this, or you see people sitting talking about these issues, it's important they get behind them and support them because without this, without without you guys, without people giving these platforms to the alternative views, then we're finished anyway. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and, and everyone, every, once you build up enough, and that's when they'll come for you. That's when they'll come for you. And because they're, they're fearful of, they're fearful of people communicating, talking and, and building movements. And that's what, and that's what I was able to do in the UK. Not just, I wasn't, it wasn't just me. They knew with Tommy Robinson come a movement. And all those people who feel like they've been silenced, all the people who want freedom, all the people who are ready to all the patriots, then they realised that it brought a movement. So by crushing me, they can set an example to them. Only problem yeah. is they haven't crushed me. I'm about to crush them with my films. That's right. <laughs> Tommy, uh, and thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I have two daughters as well. And just hearing you talk about that discussion with your son and your son understanding how important this is and the sacrifices of your family, I think people just don't get get that, right? We're pretty far removed. We can applaud you from here, but you're bearing the burden of that. Thank you for doing it. And, you know, on behalf of all of us, uh, so important. Where where can people follow you? Maybe more importantly, where can they get a hold of your documentary and and uh, blow it up? We need to get it out there. So at the minute, it's on Get Up. Uh, get Up, Telegram. Uh, it will be uploaded on Band Video, uh, on Alex Jones's Infowars Band Video. They're the only platforms we have currently, uh, but they're growing. I think I'm at 150,000 on Telegram, over 120,000 on Getter. They're, that's where you can find me. On Getter, I'm under Tommy Robinson One, um, and on tele Telegram, it's Tommy Robinson News. So, but they are growing platforms. As I said, I think I've gone up 70,000 in the last number of weeks yeah. on Getter since I started using it properly. And my my thing, which is with this promo, is making sure that the British public know where I am now because. 
I've seen so many comments saying, Jesus, where, where has he been? Where have you right, been? Right. Oh, they've made sure you can't find me, but now you can. And um, I'm going to spend the next six months. As I said, I've been in Telford every day. We didn't expect, we, we knew when we'd done these films that the, the victims and the survivors were going to be in, in problems. So we, we relocated them. We didn't realise they've gone after their mums, they've smashed people's mums' houses up, they're targeting mm. their families. So now we've got a lot of work to do because I promised all of these all of these girls that would be behind them. And I can say that confidently because I know behind me is is, is the, the British public. So we to support these girls, to investigate these stories. Some of these things, like we have gone, when you see the film, you see the amount of work we've done, surveillance work, finding them. I know every single thing there is to know about every one of those gang members in that town. Okay, I, I'm going for a meeting with the police next week to explain to the police, like, I have, I have. So how can I do this? Yeah? You have the resources. <laughs> we have no resources. We have no resources. Yeah. I know everything about all of them. Yeah? I said, if I was in your shoes, I could put them all in prison in weeks because you've got victims who do not know each other. And at the end, all these victims yeah. say, I asked the same question in each one of them. Would you be willing to go to court against these men? Yes. 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 Why are these men not being taken to court? Why are they not being prosecuted? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. W when is the film going to be available? 29th, Saturday, Saturday the 29th. Okay. Uh, 8 p.m. English time is when it will premiere on Getter. So it will premiere on okay. Getter, and I'm doing that to try and get yep. as many people. I think any new free yep. speech platforms yep. need as many people. So if the UK public want to watch it, we'll, we'll roll it out after that. Yeah. But I want them logging down, downloading Getter. And I want that to be our home. Awesome. So. And uh, for those listening, The Rape of Britain, uh, go follow Tommy Robinson on Gitter, and uh, and that's where we'll be able to see it. Uh, and I'll be watching. Awesome. Yeah, Tommy, thanks so much, man. An honor. And uh, look forward to following you and seeing how all this unfolds. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks yes, a lot. Cheers. Yeah, Thank cheers. You. Man, that, that was so great. I mean, you look at everything you see on the internet, internet pointing him out to be this horrific person right, right, really right. when you really get to talking to him he's just a journalist yeah uh who's trying to expose truth to a situation yeah. that's a horrific situation and a dad and, and he's a who dad, cares yeah. about his own kids yeah. and cares about other kids because yeah, he grew up in this community he cares about yeah. girls and young girls in his community and he's just trying to and he's being he's yeah. being persecuted over it yeah. and it's uh it's, it's pretty scary but he articulates it so well and uh and that's why he also yeah. why he has a lot of haters and a lot of oppression and persecution against them he has a big following i mean thirty thousand yeah. people marched uh, for him when he was in jail. It's it's always helpful to me and hopeful to me to talk to someone like Tommy and, and understand that as bad as things seem and as difficult as things seem, I mentioned this in the interview, but we talked to uh, Jacob Williams and man, same, same thing. I mean, these are guys that I don't know a lot about. And then you hear about the work they're doing and go, man, there are real people doing real work to, to deal with some of these issues. I mean, look, look, you, you gotta, you know, he, he, he is really humble about this, yeah. uh, but He's continuing to do this work. His he got he got car bombed. They blew up his car yeah. three days ago. Right. He was put in prison right. for exposing this. Yeah. And not only was he put in prison, but they put him in a Muslim part of the population, yeah. probably to have him killed. And he yeah. survived that. Uh, I, I understand he didn't have. They didn't let him get good health care there. He was he walked out sick, and you know, I mean. Yeah. But he's still doing yeah. it. And why he's still doing? It, he knows he may lose his life over it. He knows he may lose. Freedom, his freedom over it, but he's still doing it because he's like, it's the right thing to do yeah. to help these girls. Yeah. And sometimes in our own country, we can't get people to stand up. Or... No. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. another whole conversation. Probably, yeah. But I yeah. uh, really appreciate Tommy and uh, him coming on with us. Again, an honor to have him on our show. And uh, I know that was a help to you. Uh, go and check out his new documentary on Getter. If you're not on Getter, get on Getter. 
and then go check out the documentary. Uh, that would be awesome. Push that out to your friends and family. This is the kind of thing that's very uncomfortable to talk about, to listen to, to see. But we need to know what's happening so that we can, you know, so stand up and do something happen, about it. It doesn't happen. So it doesn't happen in your community. So it doesn't happen in your community. And, and, it, and it can. And it, or, and it certainly is probably. Yeah. And we need to understand what that looks like. So yeah. uh, very thankful for Tommy. Uh, please, if you are not already there, go over and check out the sitrep.org, the sitrep.org. This episode will be there, of course, and then all the other episodes we've done of The Situation Report. This podcast and other podcasts like it can be found on the Salem Podcast Network. That's Salem Podcast Network, all one word, dot com. Go and check that out as well. Uh, we'll be there. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Subscribe is a hard word to say. Subscribe to the show. And uh, this content and others like it will come to you directly when it is uploaded. And last but not least, if you like the podcast version of this, you like to listen to it while you're driving or working or working out, uh, that's wonderful. Subscribe to this show on the platform of your choice. I want to make sure you get every episode. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.